Hey, I want to welcome you to River Club Church. Uh, again, my name is Zach. I'm the pastor here. And listen, as Ryan said earlier, we're so glad that you are here and a part of our service today. I'm excited to introduce to you our speaker. Um, she is part of our church and part of our church family, so she's not a stranger to many of us in the room. Uh, it's, her name's Heather Blondie. Heather and Stephen, her husband, came to River Club uh, about three years ago. Uh, they've got four beautiful little girls, and uh, she is a speaker. She's a writer. She does a religion column for the Freelance Star. Uh, you may have read her writing that way. And then for the past several months, she has been playing a very, very important role in our church. She has been serving as the Daring Faith Campaign Director. And so I came to her over the summer, and she'll tell you a little bit more about that. But uh, just asked her if she would consider taking on uh, the position to help lead our church in this campaign. And she has done a phenomenal job, her and the team. And we'll actually talk more about that next week at Celebration Sunday. But, man, I'm so excited for her to come and share with you uh, this morning just part of her journey, uh, part of her story, and share a message with you called Daring to Be Thankful. So you guys help me welcome Heather Ablondi. Good morning. Uh, so as Zach said, so he, he sent me an email in July uh, asking if I would consider taking on the position of campaign director. And attached to that email was this really short little like 10-page document. And he said, this is what you will be doing as campaign director. And I told him I needed to pray about it. So I, I, took, I was actually at the, we, uh, at the beach for a week with my family and my husband and I. And we, we prayed about it. And when I came back, I told him yes. And he's like, well, we need to meet to discuss more of the details. And uh, I left his office that day with two binders that were about this thick. <laughs> um, so when I said yes, I didn't know everything that I was getting into, but I am so thankful. When we're talking about things that we're thankful for, I am so thankful for being able to serve the church in the capacity as Daring Faith campaign director. And I'm thankful for the opportunity I've had to interact with more of you on a regular basis and to just to get to know you better. And so um, thank you for, for joining with us in this Daring Faith campaign. Uh, so when, I, when preparing for this uh, sermon, I thought it would be fun to look at some things that kids say they're thankful for, right? Kids can, um, they can say some funny things around the Thanksgiving dinner table when asked what they're thankful for. So let's look at a, a couple of these. Uh, the first one is, my son said he was thankful for raisins. He doesn't like raisins. Okay, so a little, a little odd. I love this one. When making her list, my three-year-old, so picture this, a little, little three-year-old, she says she's thankful for bubble wrap. Right? We can maybe say we're thankful for bubble wrap. It's a stress reliever. Uh, what, what else? My oldest said he is thankful for air, and my youngest said he's thankful for blimps. So these siblings go well together, right? One's thankful for air, and one's thankful for blimps. Uh, I love this next one. Her puppy. We don't have a puppy. I think she was trying to send mom and dad a message, right? Like, this is what I'm thankful for at Thanksgiving and for Christmas. You better give me this puppy. Uh, this, but this is my absolute favorite. So let's look at this one. So uh, little Kaylee uh, there on the left, she's thankful for my family and God and Miss Clary. And then little Ryan over there on the right, he's thankful for God and Jesus and sweet little Isabella. Sweet little Isabella, she's thankful for all the dead people. 
because at least they tried. (laughs) Um, And isn't little Isabella thankful that forever in her life, this will be immortalized on the internet, right? Thank you, Google, very much. Um, But we can all say, that there's good things in our lives that we're thankful for, right? We can go around the table, and I bet some of you did this this past Thursday. You said, I'm thankful for my family. I'm thankful for my house. I'm thankful for my children. I'm thankful for my health. I'm thankful for my job. But did any of you say, I'm thankful for cancer? Did any of you say, "I'm, I'm thankful for the financial crisis that I'm in? Did any of you thank God for the broken things in your life? I can bet that most of you did not. Because it doesn't come easily to us to thank God and to be thankful for the hard things and to be thankful for the hard times. Uh, This is something that I have experienced over and over in my life, just like everyone in this room. I know that we all have our own stories, and then we all have our own broken things. And if you will allow me over these next few minutes, I'd like to share a few of my broken things with you. Growing up, um, I grew up in a single-parent household. My father was a drug addict and an alcoholic, Um, He left my mom when I was seven years old. I have a younger brother, Justin, who's four years younger than me, and then another younger brother, Jordan, who's six years younger than me. And after Jordan was born, my father just said, that's it. I'm done. I'm gone. And him and my mother uh, got divorced. And I can probably count the number of times that I saw my dad over the next 10 years on my fingers and my toes. My father's addiction was the most important thing in his life. The next high was the most important thing in his life. And in looking back, I can remember spending Sunday after Sunday after Sunday sitting in my grandmother's living room. And the reason that I was at my grandmother's house waiting for visitation was because my father wasn't allowed to know where I lived with my mother. Because when he did know where we lived, he would break into our house and steal things to sell to get drugs. I can remember being about five years old and he had been gone for a while at this point. It was right about a year after my younger brother Justin was born and he, he would just take off and leave for months and we would have no idea where he was. And during this particular time, he actually broke in the house because my mother had had the locks changed and he broke in the house and he was in my bedroom and he was taking money out of my piggy bank. And I asked him, dad, what are you doing? And, oh, honey, I just need this for some beer. I'm getting together with some buddies. I'll pay you back. And at five years old, I knew I was never going to see that money again. You know, and my father's addiction meant more to him than his little, that, that he would steal money from his little girl's piggy bank. When I was 13 years old, um, I was so excited for my 13th birthday because 
my dad promised that he was going to be there and that he was going to come. And I was at my grandmother's house and I had all my friends over, you know, 13 is a big deal in a little girl's life. And uh, I was just waiting and waiting for him to come and waiting and waiting some more. And he never showed up that day. And it was that at that point that I decided that I was it. That was it. I was done. I wasn't going to talk to him anymore. I, I couldn't allow myself to be hurt like that again. And so I didn't speak one word to my father for the next four years until I spoke to him when he was on his deathbed. My dad had been drinking, using heroin and cocaine. He was in a bar, got on his motor, left the bar, got on his motorcycle, headed out down the road to pick up his girlfriend uh, at the restaurant where she worked. Unfortunately, there was a woman in the same bar as my dad that night who had also been drinking. And she left, and she got into her minivan. And there was a four-way stop sign uh, intersection behind the bar, and they met up at that, that intersection, and they both ran their stop signs. Uh, witnesses say that the minivan hit my dad head-on. Uh, it threw him and his bike uh, about 75 feet into the air. His bike landed on top of him and drug him another 150 feet down the road. That happened on a Friday evening, and that next Sunday morning, they pronounced my father brain dead. And they asked the family to all gather together in the hospital room when they turned the machines off. And so as I stood there and I held his hand, I looked down at his arm at all the scars, all the track marks from all the needles that he had put into his body over the years. And I held on to his hand and the doctors came in and they, they said, if he were to take one breath on his own, that they would immediately turn the machines back on. And I really don't think I have ever prayed so hard in my life up until that point at that, as I prayed at that moment. God, please, just one breath, one breath. I wanted a second chance. I wanted a chance to say and do and, and be all the things that I hadn't had. And the doctors flipped the switch, and there was nothing. Nothing but the sound of my father's heart monitor flatlining. Can I really say I'm thankful for that? Can I say that I'm, I'm thankful for the broken dreams, the broken promises? Can I say that I'm thankful that my dad wasn't there to walk me down the aisle at my wedding? Or that my four daughters will never know their grandfather? Does God really want me to be thankful for that broken thing in my life? I know something about broken dreams as well. Uh, when I was a little girl, uh, like many little girls, if you had asked me what I wanted to be when I grew up, I would say, Miss America. 
right? Because doesn't every little girl want to be Miss America when they grow up? Um, Except for me, it wasn't just some pie-in-the-sky childhood dream. I really thought I was going to be Miss America. Uh, when, When I was born, my... Well, first of all, when I was competing in pageants, and the judges would say to me in the interview room, why do you want to be Miss America? I would say, well... It's because I was conceived in Atlantic City during a Miss America pageant week in room 222 of the Princess Hotel. Yes, I know that information. It's kind of scary, right? But Miss America was in my blood. We were there. My my mother and my father and my grandmother, they were there for the Miss America pageant that week. My grandmother saw seven Miss Americas crowned in Boardwalk Hall in Atlantic City. And so when I was born in May, that following September, when Miss America came on the TV, they set me in my little bouncer seat right in front of the television set so that I could watch my first Miss America pageant. They were so serious about, you know, I was like the golden child. They were so serious about me fulfilling this lifelong hope of having a Miss America in the family that my mother's cousin wrote a poem about me when I was born. And it ended with these lines, Lord, bless her and keep her as she grows on her way because she might be Miss America someday. Can you imagine the pressure that I grew up under? (laughs) But it wasn't just their dream for my life. It was my dream too. It was my dream because I wanted that platform. I wanted to be able to say, uh, look at at what God has done in my life. I wanted to be able to use it to proclaim the name of Jesus. I wanted to be able to use it as a platform to teach teenagers and young people about the dangers of drug abuse and alcoholism and drunk driving. And I believed that this was my destiny. And so for seven years, I poured everything I was and everything I had into trying to be Miss America. I entered my first local pageant for the Miss Maryland system when I was 17, and I continued every year to compete at the Miss, the Miss Maryland pageant. I won $32,000 in college scholarships, paid for my, my college education through competing, made wonderful friends, had great experiences, learned about public speaking, uh, but... In June of 2001, my dream came crashing down. It was my last year of competition. I was 24 years old, and at that point, they tell you you're too old to compete. And I look back now at almost 40, and I think, wow, youth is wasted on the young, because I would be much more prepared to compete for Miss America today than I was back when I was 24. But I stood on that stage, and I was in the top five a place that I had been two times before, and I just knew this was my night, right? Like, I was going to be Miss Maryland because this was my destiny, and this was my last chance. And they called the fourth runner-up, and it wasn't my name. Yay! Don't call. This is when they don't want, you don't want them to call your name at this point. If they call your name, it's bad. It means you lost. So fourth runner-up, they call her, not me. They call third runner-up, again, not my name. And I'm like, I'm this far away from my moment. You know, the wave and the, ah, you know, they put the crown on your head. The tears came all right. 
but they came when they called my name as second runner-up. And the dream came crashing down. And I remember walking across the stage, and there was a former Miss Marilyn, and she had a bouquet, and she went to hand it to me, and she went, smile. Because <laughs> I, I thought I was smiling, but I guess I was kind of grimacing. Can I really be thankful for that broken thing? The dream, the thing that I had worked so hard for, and I know many of you have those things. Dreams that just came crashing down around you. What about health crises? Can we be thankful for those? When I got married in 2003, my husband and I immediately started to try for a family. Uh, we, we really, we loved children. He loved children. And we were like, okay, this is it. We're going to, we're going to have a baby. Uh, but it wasn't as easy as we thought it was going to be. And we tried for two years and we struggled with infertility and we finally met with the doctors and the doctors told us that we had a 5% chance of ever getting pregnant naturally. And so we then moved forward with medical intervention and on the second try, we got pregnant and we were elated. We were finally going to have our baby. And then at 20 weeks, we found out it was a little girl. And I was so excited. And I was going to have my little princess and she was going to be Miss America someday. No, not really. I don't want her to do pageants. Um, but I was so excited. And we just, we thought, okay, we, we went through the trial. The trial was the infertility. And now we're in the blessing. My husband had to go away from work. He was in Africa for a month. And uh, I was anxiously waiting for his return. And he was coming home March 19th of uh, 2006. And I can remember that day uh, getting on the internet and checking the status of his flight. And it's saying that his flight was delayed. And so in order to pass the time, because I took a nap because you... Time seems to move quicker when you're sleeping, right? And so I laid down to take a nap while I waited for him. And when I woke up, I woke up in a puddle. At 25 weeks, four days gestation, my water had broke. And so while my husband was taxiing in on the runway at Dulles Airport, I was driving myself to Reston Hospital. And when I got there, my OBGYN started to console me on the loss of my baby. My baby, who was still alive, but she said that there was very little chance that she was going to survive. They transferred me to Inova Fairfax because they said that if she had been born at Reston Hospital, that she wouldn't survive because their neonatal intensive care unit did not have the equipment that was needed to support her life. And so I, I laid in a bed for two and a half weeks at Inova Fairfax, anxious and worried and troubled and crying out to God, please, you gave, we, we prayed two years for this little girl and now you're gonna take her away? Two and a half weeks later, at 27 weeks, six days, it was go time. I started to spike a fever. Her heart rate started to race. Um, I didn't know this at the time. They didn't tell me until after the fact, but 
I was actually in more danger of losing my life than she was because if, in a, if an infection had set in, um, I, would have, I would have gone down very quickly. And they, they rushed me in to the operating room and um, they did an emergency C-section and they, they intubated her and they whisked her off to the NICU. And they took me back to recovery and they stitched me all up and I was in my room and eight hours later, Steve, my husband, came up and said, it's bad. You got to get downstairs now. And they wheeled me downstairs and I was so drugged up, Benadryl and all the pain medications and everything. And um, they wheeled me in the little conference room and I can remember trying to focus on the doctor's face and his words as he told me, prepare to make funeral arrangements because she's not going to make it through these next 72 hours. I was just devastated. And... For those of you that were here a few weeks ago, you know the end of the story because you heard my husband talk about it, but God was good and he answered every prayer. And Abigail is now a vivacious 10-year-old little girl who you see running around here with her sisters on Sunday morning. But in that moment, I couldn't see that. I didn't know what God was going to do. And so can I really be thankful for that? Can I be thankful for the 89 days in the NICU? Can I be thankful for the $750,000 in medical cost associated with her hospital stay? Can Can I be thankful for the broken dream of holding my baby right after she was born? How about you? What are the broken things in your life that you can look back on? What are the broken things that you might be facing right now? Cancer or another scary health diagnosis. Can you say you're thankful for that? How can we be thankful? A financial crisis. Maybe you don't know when you're going to make the next mortgage payment or how it's going to come. Maybe maybe you don't know where the groceries are coming from or the how you're going to put gas in your car even to get you to work. Maybe you have a prodigal child, a child who's been brought up in the faith and who has chosen to go their own way. And you sit up at night and you worry and you pray. And when the phone rings at an odd hour, you're afraid to answer it because you're afraid that it might be bad news about your beloved child. Maybe you're having marital difficulties. Maybe things are really, really bad and, and you can't even stand to be in the same room with your spouse. Or, or maybe you're just coasting along. Maybe you don't even realize that, that things are bad, but maybe they're just not good. And they're not what you wanted your marriage to be. And there's unmet expectations. Can you be thankful? Maybe you bought a house in 2005 and you're upside down. (laughs) How many people here did that? We did. Yeah. And you don't know how you're getting out from that. 
and you can't see any way and you've tried all the different programs and you don't qualify for any of them. I could be speaking from experience here. And so you rent out that house and you go rent somebody else's house and we all play musical chairs with our houses because nobody can afford to sell their house. Maybe as you sat around your Thanksgiving table, there wasn't Norman Rockwell going on. Oh, maybe you were fighting with your brother, you know, you're arguing about politics, right? Because someone voted for one and somebody voted for the other. And how, how many had those conversations at Thanksgiving this year? But maybe there's serious family discord. Maybe you're lonely. Maybe you're single and you're just crying out to God. God, I just want a partner to do this life with. You know, maybe you've lost a loved one this year. This time of year can be so difficult to, to lose people, right? Because there's that empty chair at the, at the table. Can you be thankful for that brokenness? Addiction. Can we be thankful for addiction? Can we be thankful for... In that situation, I've had my fair share of experience loving someone who's addicted. My father first, and then my younger brother who followed in his footsteps. And that's hard. It's hard to see someone self-destruct. But maybe it's you. Maybe you're the one who is self-destructing, and maybe you're the one who's addicted. All of these broken things, does God really want us to be thankful for them? It's my challenge to you today that yes, yes, he does. And furthermore, I would argue that our level of thankfulness determines the outcome of our brokenness. The broken things in our lives, a lot of times we can't change them. But what we can change is our response to them. And when we are thankful, truly thankful for those things, it doesn't necessarily change the situation, but it changes us. And so I want to to talk to you today about that. What does that look like? Well, first of all, the first person that I can look at in the Bible who is thankful for a broken thing, is our ultimate example, and that's Jesus. You know, Jesus at the Last Supper in Matthew 26, 26, it says that while they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, take and eat, this is my body. So Jesus gave thanks. What did he give thanks for? Well, on a practical level, he gave thanks for the sustenance of the bread. But on a spiritual level, he gave thanks for his body. His body that was what? It was broken. And why did his body have to be broken? For our redemption. So often, 
God redeems us through the broken things in our life. And ultimately, our ultimate redemption, our ultimate salvation, our ultimate being saved from the sins and being saved from death came through Jesus's brokenness. The brokenness that he gave thanks for before it happened. What exactly was he given thanks for? In Matthew 27, 27 through 31, it says, Then the governor's soldiers took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole company of soldiers around him. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him and then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on his head. They put a staff in his right hand. Then they knelt in front of him and mocked him. Hail, king of the Jews, they said. They spit on him and took the staff and struck him on the head again and again. After they had mocked him, they took off the robe and put his own clothes on him. Then they led him away to crucify him. They took him to Golgotha and they put him on a cross with nails in his hands and his feet where he hung until he literally suffocated. For us, for our redemption through his brokenness. And it is just so incredible to me that he could sit at that Passover supper and give thanks for the brokenness that was to come. When faced with the brokenness of the world, we have two options we can become bitter people, or we can become better people. Better people are thankful people. So when we're, when we're talking about bitterness, I, I thought it was good to, to define it, to look at exactly what bitterness means. Bitterness is a feeling of anger and resentment caused particularly by perceived unfairness and suffering or by adverse circumstances. Is anyone familiar with this feeling? (laughs) I sure am. Uh, You know, after my experience with uh, my, my Miss Maryland journey, I was so bitter. I was so angry at God. It was so unfair. God, I served you all this time, and I was gonna do this to glorify your name. And how could you let this happen? Right? Because he had the power to give me the crown. You know, he wasn't like, you know, I'm dealing with this Gulf War thing over here, you know, that was going on at the time. Oops, I completely forgot tonight was Miss Maryland and Heather was supposed to win tonight. I can't believe it. No, 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 no. God chose. He is sovereign and he chose to not give that to me. And so I was angry and I was bitter and I, I didn't want anything to do with him. What... What does a bitter person look like? Well, when we look at the Bible, the first person that I think of is Naomi. Now, I love the story of Naomi and Ruth, okay? I I love it so much that my, my youngest daughter is named Naomi, and my second youngest, her middle name, is Ruth. So this is uh, a story that I was all, have always loved. Um, and so for those of you that, that don't 
know the story or aren't very familiar, the, the background is that Naomi and her husband um, went from Bethlehem to Moab. And the reason that they did that was because there was a famine in the land. And while they were in Moab, Naomi's husband died. Also while they were there, Naomi's sons married Moabite women, okay? These women were named Orpah, not to be confused with Oprah, right? Every time I read that, I always read it as Oprah. So Orpah and Ruth, okay? Married Naomi's sons, who we read in the Bible, the translations of their names are actually sickly and weakly. And I just think as a mom, if you name your kids sickly and weakly, you're just asking for something, right? Seriously, though, I think they were probably given those names after the fact because they both also died while they were in Moab. And so Naomi says to Ruth and Orpah, leave me, go find other husbands. Who am I? Am I really going to have more sons from you? And even if I could find a husband and have sons right now, are you going to wait for them to grow up so you can marry them? And so Orpah leaves. She says, see ya. But Ruth, what does Ruth say? Ruth says, where you go, I will go. Your people will be my people. Where you will be buried, I will be buried too. And Naomi says, well, okay. And so they both leave Moab and they returned to Bethlehem. And when they arrived in Bethlehem, uh, the whole town was stirred because of them, it says, in Ruth 1, 19 through 21. It uh, says that the whole town was stirred and the women exclaimed, can this be Naomi? Now, Naomi means pleasantness, okay? So can this be Naomi? And what does she say? Don't call me Naomi. She told them, call me Mara. Because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. Have you felt like that? Do you know people that feel like that? Who blame God for all of their problems? You know, Maybe they're in your house or they're a friend of yours, a, a family member. But we all know these people, these bitter people. And what do they look like? Well, they have hard hearts, right? It's hard for them to love other people because their, their heart is so hardened from their own bitterness. They lack joy, in their lives. Because how can you be happy and joyful when you're so focused on your own brokenness and the complaints that you have about your life being unfair? Our bitterness leads to a distance from God. Because we can't be thankful for him or to him and feel close to him if we're angry with him. It leads to resentment. And if we look at Hebrews 12, 15, it says, See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. Ultimately, 
our bitterness is like a contagious poison. These are the people that just suck the life out of the room when they walk into it, right? My husband and I actually call them life suckers. They're the people that you just feel exhausted after being around them. Why? Because they complain and they're unhappy. And all of a sudden you start feeling the same way. So our bitterness is a contagious poison that, that seeps to those around us. When we look in the Bible and we're looking for an example of someone who is thankful in the broken things, uh, we need look no further than the Apostle Paul. In 1 Thessalonians 5, uh, 16 through 18, he says, Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And some of us, you know, we read that and I'm like, well, that's easy for him to say. He was the Apostle Paul and he got to travel and do missionary work and, and preach the name of Jesus and preach the gospel to people and get taken care of by the different congregations that he went to. But let's look at what Paul really experienced and what he's really saying that he's thankful for. In 2 Corinthians 11, 24 through 27, he says... Five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night in the day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have gone without food. I have been cold and naked. I would think it's probably safe to say that none of us have experienced the level of trials and brokenness that Paul did. But still he was able to say, rejoice always, give thanks in all circumstances. But how do we do that? What on a practical level does it look like to give thanks in all circumstances. You know, we don't just put on this Pollyanna, you know, pie in the sky. For those of you that, that saw the Rick Warren uh, small group video for Daring Faith, he says this. You know, we don't just say, woohoo, yes, I'm just so happy for the broken things. No, that's not what this looks like. It, you call the broken things broken, but you're thankful through them. So practically, one of the things that you can do is ask, God, how can I use this trial in my life to help someone else? In 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 4, Paul writes, Praise, to be, the, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. So when we're in a difficult situation, when we're in a broken point in our lives and God comforts us, that comfort is not supposed to stop with us. We are supposed to look for ways that we can pass that comfort on to someone else. 
Another thing that we can do to be thankful for the brokenness is look for the ways that God is refining us and allowing him to refine us. Um, David writes in Psalm 66, 10 through 12, For you, God, tested us. You refined us like silver. You brought us into prison and laid burdens on our backs. You let people ride over our heads. We went through fire and water, but you brought us to a place of abundance. So when you're going through the fire, you've all heard of the refiner's fire, right? Like they, they take the, 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 the raw silver or the raw gold and they, they put it in and they heat it up and they heat it up and it melts. And then all the impurities, the dross, it rises to the top and the refiner skims it off. And then what happens? They actually put it back in and they heat it up again and they make it even hotter to get more of the impurities out. And so sometimes when we're in those trials, that's what God is doing to us. He's, he's ratcheting up the heat and, and he's bringing the impurities out of our lives. And so when you're in that broken place, maybe God's trying to refine you. And so ask him, God, what are you doing? And then be obedient to what he says, because you want to get out of the fire, right? So the quicker you're obedient, you know. But look for, look for those ways that he's refining you. Another thing that we can do is to, to recognize in humbleness our, our dependence on God and our weakness. Um, again, Paul writes in 2 Corinthians twelve nine. but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. You see, Paul, you know, he, we read that he had a thorn in his flesh, and we don't know what that is, but it says that three times... He asked God to take that thorn away. And uh, God didn't answer with the, the response that he wanted. God said, no, instead, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. And so when you're facing those trials, maybe it's just because God wants you to be utterly and ultimately dependent on him. And it is only in your weakness that you are able to do that. Our trials can also develop perseverance in us and, and it, they can strengthen our faith. We read in James 1, 2 through 3, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. The trials that we face in life make our faith stronger. And so look for that. Look for the ways that you can grow in your faith and step out. You know, a lot of times the trials aren't even about us. It may be about what somebody else needs to learn through what God is doing in your life. When we moved to Fredericksburg in 2009 and uh, we had just gotten to this new house and we had all the expenses that come along with moving and we moved here for my husband's job and right after uh, we got here, they changed uh, his contract in the pay system or they changed the pay system and when they entered the contract in, they entered it in so one number was off. And so we literally went four months of my husband working but not getting paid. 
And through that time, we, we struggled. We borrowed money from my in-laws. We took money out of retirement accounts. Uh, but God was good and God was faithful. And there was uh, never a time where uh, the mortgage or the, the rent went unpaid. And we always had food on the table. And we just continued to praise him for his provision through that time. Well, four months later, thankfully, they fixed it and we started to get paid. And our, we were at a different church at the time. In our small group, they came to us and uh, they said, you were such a testament to, to being faithful and to being thankful. You were such an example to us of what it looks like to trust in God. We didn't feel like we were being that. I know I didn't feel I was and I was asking, why God? And what lesson are you trying to teach us? And, but that was my inner dialogue. My outer dialogue was one of thankfulness. And that I just knew that God was going to take care of us. And I had no idea the impact that that made on those around me watching my life. And so you never know. Maybe your trial is not for you, but it's from, for what your neighbor can learn through how you react to that trial. Uh, when I was in high school, you know, I went to a small Christian high school and we never really read the classics. We didn't read any like Dickens or, you know, any, any of those kind of things. But what we did read was certain Christian novels over and over and over again every year. I can quote through Gates of Splendor, like word for word, because I've read it like six times. And uh, one of the books that we read was The Hiding Place by Corey Ten Boom. And in it, she tells the story of being in a Nazi concentration camp. She was a Dutch Christian during World War II, and her and her sister, was in, they were in this concentration camp called Ravensbrück. And they had been in one set of barracks, and they had a small Bible with them. And in that set of barracks, they were able to secretly read the Bible and do small little Bible studies with some of the women. And they got moved to a different set of barracks, a much larger barracks. Um, but when they got in there and they got into the beds, they realized that the beds were infested with fleas. And uh, they were just covered in them. And Corey said to her sister, how can we live like this? And, you know, her sister said, well, we need to pray and we need to ask God, you know, how we can live like this. So Betsy started praying and uh, she said, Corey, Corey, I realize it. I've got the answer. God gave us the answer before we ever even asked the question. Our devotion this morning, we read the verse in Thessalonians where it says, give thanks in all circumstances. So God wants us to give thanks, Corey. And so they thanked God for the move to the new barracks. And they thanked God that they still had their Bible. And they thanked God that there were women around them who that they could minister to. And ultimately, Betsy thanked God for the fleas. And Corey said, wait a minute, that's a little bit too much. You've gone a little bit too far. I really don't think I can thank God for the fleas. Fast forward several weeks later, and uh, they're, they're knitting some socks on their work duty in the barracks, and there had been some confusion on the sizes of uh, the socks that they were supposed to knit. And so they went to one of the guards, and they asked the guard to please come in and, and to help them. 
figure out this confusion, and the guard refused to come in. The guards had not been coming in the room for those three weeks. In fact, Corey and Betsy had been able to, in the open, lead Bible studies with the women in their barracks. And they realized that day why. As they asked this guard to come in, the guard responded, no, because that place is full of fleas. And so the fleas, the very thing that they just didn't even know how they were going to handle and how they were going to live in, were the thing that God used to allow them to have Bible study out in the open and probably protected them from many other abuses from the guards. And so what are the fleas in your life? The things that God has put there that you can't see right now, why they're there, but that he's using them for your protection and he's using them for your good. And, you know, right now, my husband and I, uh, we're, we're going through a pretty difficult season. You know, since taking on the, the Daring Faith campaign, um, we've had some health issues and there's some job issues going on and uh, it can be really easy. It could be really easy right now for me to say, why God? You know, I'm take, I took this step of faith to step out and to serve you. I, I, I'm trying to do something to, to help build up your church and to serve other people and to spread the gospel. Why are you allowing these things to come into my life? But I'm not saying that this time. What am I saying now? I'm saying thank you. I'm not thankful for the mic right now. (laughs) I'm saying thank you, God. Thank you for this time. Thank you for the trial. Thank you for what you're doing to refine us. Thank you for what you're doing to prepare us for the next big thing. You know, a lot of times and when we, when we step out in faith, you know, the enemy doesn't want us to do it. And the Bible tells us that he throws fiery arrows in attack at us. And I was sharing this with my brother, Jordan, uh, my baby brother, who's a pastor down in Tennessee over Thanksgiving. And he's a skeptic. And he said, well, you know, why do you go right to spiritual warfare? How do you know it's really the enemy doing this stuff? And it's not. And I said, I know it is because it happened right when my husband and I really started to ratchet up and really started to step out in faith and really started to make commitments to to God's kingdom and to take things to a next level. But ultimately, we need to realize that God is much stronger than the enemy. And he could stop those fiery arrows at any given moment. And he could protect us from them. But he has allowed these things into our life. And so I need to ask, why? Why has God allowed these things into my life? And I firmly believe it's because he's refining us. He's making our faith stronger. He's preparing us for whatever that next big thing, whatever that next big thing is. You know, we're that Rick Warren illustration, you know, the trapeze. You know, we were hanging from the trapeze and we didn't let go of the bar. He ripped the bar out of our hands and we're hanging and we haven't quite 
grabbed on to that next bar yet, but we know he's got us. And we know he's good. I want you, what do I want you to do today? I want you to look at the broken things in your life, the things in your past and the things that you're going through right now. And I want you to ask God how you can be thankful for them. I want you to ask God how you can help someone else with your trial. I want you to ask how God can refine you. I want you to ask, what is God preparing you to do? I'm not freaking out right now because I've seen what God's done in the past with my broken things. I've seen how God took the death of my father and how he used it for good. For 10 years, I traveled the country as a professional speaker, speaking to high school students about the dangers of drug and alcohol abuse. And I was able to share my father's story, and I have letter upon letter upon letter from young people that have said, you know, I didn't drink on prom night because of what you said. Or I didn't get in the car with my boyfriend after he'd been drinking because of your dad's story. God allowed me to provide comfort and to share through my trial. I had experienced girl after girl after girl coming up to me after my presentations and saying, me too. I haven't talked to my dad in five years or my dad's an alcoholic and he drinks every night and I have no relationship with him. And how did you do it? How did you get through? How did you make it? How did you survive? And in those public school settings, I was able to say, Jesus. I was, it's only through Jesus. And so God used that broken thing in my life and he turned it into something beautiful. He used my broken dream even. You know, it'd be really easy for me to stand up here. It'd be great to stand up here with the, the sparkly crown and to do the Miss America wave and tell you this. You know, be thankful for the broken things in your life. And what would you think? Well, it's easy for her to say she won Miss America. My message is a lot more effective when I can say, I tried so hard for this and I wanted it so badly and it didn't happen. And just as a little aside, God did answer that prayer. The prayer that I prayed all of those years for a crown, he just didn't answer it in the way that I expected him to. When I met my husband and I found out his name, Stephen, like lots of girls, you know, what do we do? We go to the internet and we look up name meaning and we want to know what their name means and um, how surprised was I when I typed in Stephen and found out that his name means crown. You can all go, oh, you're allowed. The first service went all. Uh, <laughs> so my husband's name literally means crown. And so God answered that prayer, but not in the way that I thought he would. But he also has allowed me to have a much more effective message and a platform than I ever would have if I had won the title of Miss America. And so I want you this week, uh, I want you to go home. And I want you to each day this week, write down on a piece of paper, three things that you're thankful for. 
And I don't want you to just write my health, my family, my job. I want you to write the broken things too. I want you to write all the toys that seem to gather and multiply on the floor in the toy room over and over, no matter how many times I pick them up a day. How can you be thankful for that? We well, can be thankful for the kids that make the mess, right? You know, I want you to, I want you to be thankful for the hard things. And then I want you to ask God, what are you going to do with this? What do you want me to do with this? You know, imagine what this world would look like if we were all to be truly thankful for the broken things in our lives. Imagine what our church would look like if we were thankful for the broken things. Imagine what this place would be like if people saw us and what we do with the broken things and say, I want some of that too. And they came in the doors of this place because it's a safe place where it's okay not to be okay and it's okay to have broken things because we know that ultimately the broken things give glory to God. And so I stand before you today and I proudly proclaim that I am thankful for this difficult season in my life. I am thankful for what God is going to do. I am thankful for the big thing that he is preparing us for. I am thankful for the hard times and the brokenness. And I want to give God glory and praise in each and every circumstance that comes in my life because that's what it's all about. In the end, your brokenness is about God. Your brokenness is about giving him the glory, giving him the thanks, and proclaiming his mighty name among the nations. As we move into this next song, we're going to sing Yes and Amen. It's been one of our Daring Faith theme songs. I want you to take out your note sheet. You know, I didn't give you like a fill in the blanks thing because that's like way too constricting for me. I don't live in the box and that's way too much in the box. I'm too much of a right brain creative person. So, but I want you to take that blank sheet out and I want you to write one thing, one broken thing that you're thankful for. That as we sing this song, you're going to praise God for, not because of the bad thing, but because of what God's going to do with it. And if you feel comfortable and you want people to pray for you over that, if you look, there's um, fences on either wall here and there's little uh, note cards and you can write that thing on that card and put it right up in that fence and we'll pray over that for you. The altar here is open should you feel that you want to come up and spend some time uh, with the Lord. Uh, will you pray with me as we move into this next song? Lord Jesus, we just come to you right now and we just give you all the praise and all the glory and all the honor. We thank you so, so very much for everything that you bring into our lives. We thank you for the good 
And we thank you for the broken. We thank you for what you're going to do in our situations. We thank you for the glory it's going to bring to your name. We thank you for the refining and we we thank you for the pain because ultimately we know that the comfort that we get from you is going to be able to be given out to others in your name. God, let us leave here today and not just be hearers of the word, but be doers of the word, Lord. Help us to live out our thankfulness in practical ways that those around us say, I want that. I want what they have. And that we have the boldness and the courage to then share that with other people. God, thank you for every person that's come here today. And I thank you for this church and the opportunity that you've given me to share and to serve. In your son's precious name we pray, amen.